Hello and welcome to another episode of the Architects Are From Mars and Builders Are From Venus podcast brought to you by Ruby Sketch. Let's get started. Okay, thanks for joining us for episode seven. My name is Drew Povey and I'm your host. Now, the reason we're doing these podcasts is because we're passionate about connecting the design and construction industry. Many companies say they are, but we actually mean it. And we believe that if everyone in the industry better understands each other, we'll communicate better, leading to stronger relationships, more sustainable design and construction, and more profitable businesses. So in this series, we'll be talking to architects, designers, builders, estimators, and product manufacturers. We want to discuss the issues that are costing each profession time and money, as well as taking a look at what we could be doing to create more successful businesses. Before we start, we'd like to give special thanks to our platinum sponsor, Brickworks Building Products. Brickworks are one of Australia's largest building product companies with a product range that includes bricks, pavers, stone, masonry blocks, precast concrete panels, and the list goes on. They lead through style and innovation, creating beautiful products that last forever. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Ruby Sketch's very own Andrew Dwight. Andrew is the owner and founder of Ruby Sketch, but is also a designer and builder with over 29 years in the industry. And we're going to be talking about structure and why it is so important, whether you're designing or building. Hey, Andrew, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thanks, Drew. Going really well. It's been a while since I've been here. Hopefully, we can uh, shed some light on the industry. Yeah, and look, today I wanted to talk with you about structure and structural engineering specifically and why it's so powerful to have included in the 3D virtual design and construction model. And the reason I want to talk to you about it is because we are constantly getting people reaching out to us and asking us, should it be done? How can they do it with Plusbeck? And what's the best way to even include the engineer or the structural engineer in the process? And I thought, there's no one better to get on and uh, talk about this than yourself. Yeah, thanks, mate. Look, I, I, I've done a lot of jobs, and uh, I'm sure that most people know that I come from a construction background. And uh, typically, builders, we, we like to try and save money where we can. However, there's always going to be a time, well, especially in Australia, where a structural engineer needs to get involved in the project. And it could be the steel inside the concrete or the structural steel that, that holds up the framework or whatever that might be. And, and essentially, look, I think the builders in general, they would usually have a pretty good understanding of you know, what's required from previous jobs, yet an architect might not uh, have that same uh, experience or understanding of structure. So in all cases, I always employ a structural engineer. I might not um, get them to do the whole project. I might actually go through and say, well, you know, in the past I've done this before. I might put my own beans in a project and then get the structural engineer to have a look at it and either have a, a conversation face-to-face or send them a model and say, uh, I might set up a scene at the top of SketchUp that says engineer or engineer one, engineer two, engineer three, or and I, I might communicate with the model with the engineer to get him to understand where I think there's going to be potential problems or where I need certification on a model. Uh, and, and I think it's a really good way to try and keep everything inside of one location instead of having a set of engineers plans printed out that are separate to your architectural construction drawings, uh, having it inside of one model enables you to figure out whether you're going to need a bulkhead or you know, whether you're going yeah. to need to cut the frames down upstairs or whatever you might need to do. 
you find an engineer that's doing 5,000 projects a year, he's probably less likely to work with you uh, inside of SketchUp. However, you find a good engineer who wants to make a name for himself and wants to get more customers, I think having them understand how to put their engineer or the required seal inside of a, a, a 3D model is reasonably easy for them. Um, and more importantly, I think down the track, it, it takes a lot of the, the issues out of the project as far as yeah. connect. Definitely. We, we always say IPD, so inter, uh, integrated project delivery, and the idea behind that being that if you have one central 3D model that's filled with everything, so all the information that all project stakeholders need, you know, the architectural to the structural to the cost and, you know, even the manufacturer's specifications, then there's going to be less error. And I think that in the podcast or the episodes that we've had before, one of the recurring things that we're hearing, particularly from the builders and contractors, is that they're able to save so much money. And, in fact, it's where they're able to recoup so much of their money by making sure that the structural engineers' drawings and the architectural align, and they're not having any problems. Well, look, I mean, a lot of the jobs I was doing, I was actually designing myself from scratch. However, there would be projects that came through that were someone who was recommended to me by another client that had already been uh, designed and the engineer had already um, delivered a set of plans. And I basically just had to quote on those jobs and and uh, from there. So what I would do, I'd go through and trace over my walls uh, put my walls up and then I would go and put in the engineering according to the plans. And it's amazing how many times I actually went and uh, started putting in steel beams and found errors between the architectural and the engineer. And usually it was due to the fact that the architect or the designer had updated his plans and the engineer had done them on an earlier version. Regardless, if you're going into quoting a job, especially on a fixed price, you can lose a lot of money just for that mistake. And it's not even your mistake. However, when it actually comes to construction, even though you might be able to back charge um, <clears throat> the client and put in a variation, if you can get through a job without a variation because you foresaw something to start, um, number one, you're going to get through that job seamlessly so you don't have to stop, reorder new steel. And number two, uh, you can actually look better in front of the client and get more recommendations. I found it, uh, I didn't ever do marketing from my construction company, all I ever did was the best job I could possibly do uh, for the least amount of money so that I still made profit at the same time as had a happy customer and sounds a little bit cheesy, but the, the truth is, is that when you can achieve that via integrating a project delivery or, or even as a builder putting in steel beams and checking everything before you go ahead, that cost saving is more than I can explain in, in in, in just the cost of reordering material or time down on the job. It's, it's certainty about the job. It's, I'm certain that I can run my air conditioning ducts through or I can um, not worry about a, a steel column going through uh, the centre of a window because of a design change. So I think the best thing you get out of adding the engineering to a project is definitely confidence that we can build this job in a time frame. Time is always the issue. So the question that always gets asked is how long is this going to take? Isn't this going to take too long for me to have to model up the structural engineer's drawings? Well, not not really because it's, you're getting more out of it than just an understanding. You're getting a bit of quantities. Um, you know, if you know how much it's going to cost you for that engineering before you actually have to send out for a quote, you probably save the time 
regardless. So, for instance, and you're probably not aware, but for us to send out a, a, a job to, say, a frame and trust um, supplier, <clears throat> you'll send them out a set of plans and then they send you back, a, a, you know, maybe a joist lad or someone or something like that. And you send it to three different um, frame and trust companies. When it comes back, there could be two or $3,000 difference in price. If you took the cheapest price, there's a pretty good chance that what you get back isn't the same as the other price uh, and or have, they haven't included the same amount of material. The best thing about adding the engineering and, and doing your own joist layouts is actually what you say is look, in this project there are, I don't know, 540 linear metres of 12 by 2 or, or 300 by 45 joists. It means that what they're doing is they're actually quoting on apples for apples instead of actually deciphering your plans the way they see fit and then sending back and leaving out different articles or items. Um, so <clears throat> even though, yes, it, it, look, I, I assume that anyone that's listening to this anyway would probably be already be modelling up their projects, whether it be supply and communication, estimating or um, a better understanding or communication between client, uh, subcontracting and so on. But, and, and that being the case, well, then it would take nothing. So, for instance, to put in, you know, I, I did a, a job the other day for one of the larger construction companies in, in Sydney, and uh, it was one of their first projects. And they actually went and built it, and uh, I got a call from the construction manager to say, hey, and said, hey, Andrew, this is a, a nightmare. We've they actually used Revit to draw it up, and they've got drop-down floors and everything like that. And I said, look, I'll take a quick look at it for you. And probably within the first 45 minutes, I'd modelled the ground floor, the first floor, put the joists in and set down everything there. <clears throat> and I found, oh, look, he told me that it was over $150,000 worth of on-site variations uh, to do this house. It was a million-dollar house. Um, because when they drew it, they drew it and they looked at it from the top plan down and they put steel beams in that were in line with the top of the, the floor. They put uh, joist hangers in that hung lower than the steel. And nothing works. Um, so by the time they actually sorted out all these problems on site, uh, I think they had a two-month delay to build this project, $150,000 in unexpected variations that the estimated didn't pick up because the house had never been built before. Now, for me, I was always building custom houses. I never uh, built the same house twice, so it was important for me to do that. I think for listeners, if they're building the same house over and over, the, the most important thing to do would be to model that house before you build it the first time. Once you're replicating or you might be doing extensions to existing designs, it's very quick. I, I, I think that anyone who's proficient in prospect should be able to add an extended living room or drop a floor down or anything like that, you know, within probably an hour. Um, so when it comes down to time, yes, there is time associated, but there's time associated with everything. And when it comes to a problem on site uh, and you've got a piece of steel that's, you know, four inches or 100 mil too short, just the time it takes you to organise that steel to show up, figure out whose problem was, you're looking at four or five hours plus the cost uh, that, that is very difficult to charge. So I think it's a no-brainer to be sticking your engineering. I, I wouldn't, and I've never done a job uh, without putting the engineering in my project. Yeah, and that sounds like something that you talk about often, and that's design change consideration based on cost. Can you explain that a little bit more and even your process? Because I know that, for example, you've done tutorials where when you're designing, you know the maximum spans of materials and so you're always keeping that in mind. 
what's the process and how can how can even an architect or a designer or a builder do that before even going to a structural engineer? Well, look, I'd, I'd love to say that I knew the span of every material, but I'd be lying. Um, you know, I, I've got a, an understanding of maximum <laughs> span. So, for instance, I know that a 300-joist will span six metres uh, at a 450-joist centre. But, you know what, I wouldn't know what a 200-joist would do off the top of my head. So so my process is, is number one, go and get some of that joist uh, software. As I said, you can get it on your phone. Or essentially all you do is go and write in, well, what's the maximum span of your project? It'd be very unusual to have a traditional house having different size floor joists. Probably a custom house would, but normally what I do is I go through and figure out what's the largest span uh, that I have in the project. And uh, if it's over six metres, obviously I've got to bring a structural engineer in. And I would probably go and draw in a couple of pieces to where I think are right. I would then go and put in all my joists to maximum span or to... There's a thing called uh, rigidity ratio, which is um, the amount that the floor joists bends. Um, so I would go and uh, work out, look, if you're doing a higher-end house, usually you, you'd have a, a thing, the rigidity ratio would be 1.5 would be kind of minimum, so you don't have noisy floors and squeaky floors and things like that. However, project home companies use right down to 1.2, which means the joists bounce more and the cornices crack and so on. So depending on the quality of home that you're building, um, you would probably utilise that third-party software to figure out or what your maximum span is and how that would work. Once you know the size of your joist, uh, you would then go through and start to model. Um, and what I would do is I'd go through my longer spans. I might space my joists close together. Um, uh, and where I have joists that are going over several walls, but I'm just basically using the height of that joist, uh, I'd span the, the, the joist at a different spacing to reduce costs. Uh, I don't know if that's getting too technical, but basically the closer you put a floor joist together, uh, the further it will span and less bounce you get. So there's a little bit of understanding in that. And, you know, I don't believe that that's a job for the architect. And even if an architect did tackle that, the builder would probably change it anyway. Um, in an ideal world, all joists were 600 spacings because it's easy to get your plumbing and everything through. I think probably for, for users, the biggest thing um, I look for when I'm putting floor joists and, and structural steel in is the locations of uh, my air conditioning and the locations of uh, my toilets so that I don't have a, a toilet sweep run right through the centre of a structural joist or structural beam. Yeah, okay. Because really the God or the devil's in the details. So for me, um, I totally agree with what you're saying because the problem with 2D drawings is that everyone is guessing, and I've I know from from personal experience, and also from talking with, you know, our architects and designers specifically, that they might be sending their designs in the traditional two D format, but the structural engineer is still needing to translate it. Well, that's right. look. I think one thing that's really good that I, I don't think it's got the kudos it deserves uh, is that SketchUp actually uh, now made their mobile application on tablet and on uh, smartphone free. So it doesn't matter yeah. if your engineer doesn't have um, SketchUp. Basically, you can send him a model. He can open it on his phone or tablet, and you can just put in their engineering scenes, and he'll know exactly what you're talking about on a mobile device. Even if he decides he's going to draw it by hand in 2D, which you do hope these days doesn't happen that often, you're communicating. And, and I think that the word communication is under 
utilised because essentially what this 3D model is doing is it's, it's number one, when I'm designing, it's helping me understand what it is I'm designing and the implications, but it's also helping the people downstairs, so or sorry, downstream. So I used to get my, my traders to come into my office and just sit there, even if it was on a Friday afternoon with a couple of schooners uh, or beers, um, we'd just sit around and talk about it. Uh, and, you know, just sometimes you see that light bulb moment uh, when the apprentices, uh, anyone who's got apprentices or had apprentices would understand the first two years of a, of a carpentry apprenticeship can be frustrating because they just don't seem to get it. However, when you uh, communicate uh, to that level to an apprentice, uh, you see the light bulb come on and then all of a sudden you go, oh, wow. Then they take it home and they start to play with it. And you can have apprentices making suggestions. Uh, I was actually signing my apprentices off a year early because they understood the project and, and I think it was partly due to the fact the way we communicated with them. That's awesome to hear. Although this next question isn't really anything to do with structural engineering or like having the structural engineers involved, I think that the top, the big thing that I'm getting from this so far is, as always, about ending the disconnect. And that's what we're all about, is trying to say, how can every single person from the beginning of a design all the way to the passing over or handing over the keys, how can we make sure that we, we are working together better so that we can have every single one of us have a better result and walk away with less mistakes, better reputation, better referrals, and obviously some more money in the pocket. But there's actually one that I want to talk about that, that we've been trying to raise in the last few weeks, and that is another point of disconnect, and that's nominal versus actual. And I think it kind of does relate to this topic because it is structural. Can you kind of dive into that and, and talk about it? Okay. Look, what nominal timber size is in, in America would be a two-by-four would be a standard stud. In a, in, and in Australia, it used to be four by two. <clears throat> Back in those days, we didn't actually kiln dry and thickness timber. So a piece of four-inch timber, and I know it was taught semi-imperial, uh, uh, by the time they kiln dried it and then they ran it through a, a thickness that's over to have an even size from one length of the timber to the other, uh, it actually took off 10 millimetres. Uh, so so even though it might have been called a piece of four-inch timber, it was actually uh, 90 mil, or in the US, it's three and a half inches. Any architect uh, or any builder who's actually tried to build a house when the architect or designers used nominal sizing would be very frustrated to the point where, you know, steam comes out of your ears and you start to throw stuff. Because what happens <laughs> is that... The plan says 100 mil. However, we're dealing with 90 mil timber. And so the, if you're building it on site, you've got to figure out, okay, I'm going to go always to the outside and then, then I'm going to, all my internal walls going to be 10 millimetres longer or half an inch longer in the States. Any architect or designer that's still designing walls at 100 mil, you cannot buy 100 mil timber in Australia. Uh, you can get it specially milled, but it costs you a bomb. I was really, uh, it was one of the biggest, costs to me or cause of error when a designer would draw walls that are nominal. And so, as I said, the original size of a piece of four-inch timber in Australia was 100 millimetres. Architects and designers always used to draw their wall at 100 millimetres, <clears throat> and and that's how we built. However, now a wall is 90 millimetres, and it's a three-inch of 70 millimetres. Uh, 
it's really important that, that any architects or designers that are out there understand that this is the size we're building from. Uh, there's a blog, and I, I made a post on it uh, through the week. Uh, you'll see it on our website there about nominal and actual. It's really, really sad to see that people still draw walls at four inches. I don't understand why, and I can only assume that <clears throat> possibly they're allowing for the size of the stud plus the internal lining. Uh, however, that just throws everything into chaos. All your room sizes will be different if you had a, if you have a wall, say, or say a ten meter long by ten meter wide house, and you had five walls down one side and one wall on the opposite side. Where do you start from? You know, where do you figure out how I'm going to mark those walls out? I used to chalk walls on the ground, and even still, it's just a nightmare. Please, anyone listening, stop putting nominal sizes in. You have to actually use actual sizes. <laughs> I'm actually getting fairly passionate about this because I do think, for me, there's there's two big things that are happening. First and foremost, I think that unless you're building, you might not be aware of it, which is why I do think it's extremely important that if you are an architect or a designer that you do spend some time on site. Secondly, I do think that it should be part of the education process anyway. We under, We need to understand fundamentals of structure to be able yeah. to, to design better. And so, therefore, it's an education thing. But I also think that a lot of the systems that have been set up, and this is having a dig at our competitors now, I think they perpetuate the problem. And maybe it's because they're not from industry. Yeah. Look, that's a a huge problem. I was adamant about solving that problem because it had cost me tens of thousands of dollars throughout my construction career and when I was a carpenter. Um, And, you know, what? I think it's... I don't know. I'm still flabbergasted at why people do it, but um, yeah. Look, in Brisbane, you you have the opportunity if you really do want to draw a true four-inch wall because you might be doing a house that's 40 years old. You have the capacity to do it. However, if you're designing a, a, an extension on top of a an old house or or extending the back area and putting a living room on it, you can't go down to the local supply hardware supply chain or timber merchant and purchase four-inch timber anymore. So you might draw the existing house with the old four-inch uh, or six-inch or whatever it might be, but stop it there. Draw the existing house, delete the walls that you're going to um, or put them down as demolition, and then start drawing the new house in the t- sizes of lumber that you can purchase today, uh, and that would all, and you'll see inside of Plusbeck, it's, it's called um, the actual size, not the nominal size. And and that actually leads on to the other thing that we've been speaking about recently too and trying to educate is the right way to dimension and why prospect... Because often, for example, we have architects and designers and, and, and builders and contractors reach out and say, you know, why why do you put so much emphasis on structure inside of prospect? Why is it there at all? And And obviously, it comes back to what we're talking about now because... Structure is is integral, and in, in, in for me and for a lot of architects and designers, anyway, um, often you would only design two structure. You wouldn't even include the finished materials at all in the drawings, especially back in the old days with with AutoCAD. Um, but what I do see, and what we we are hearing more and more, is incorrect dimensioning, and we always push forward that people should be dimensioning structure to structure. So what's your thoughts on that and do you have anything to say? Yeah, without a, whether it be double brick or, or, or uh, veneer clad uh, or a brick veneer with a cavity, <clears throat> we always build from structure first. 
uh, on site. You ever sat and watched the house go up, you'll notice they always put the, the concrete down, the timber frames up, the second story floor joists up, second story walls, uh, and now with our h and sometimes they won't put the roof on it so the bricklayer's got his scaffold up. But we start building from the structure always because that's what holds the roof up and that's what holds the roof down in wind. Yeah, look, dimensioning from finish to finish just doesn't make sense. You want to try and mitigate error and make it as easy or as simple for the builder or contractor as possible. And clearly they're going to be starting from structure first. So there are obviously some circumstances where the finish to finish may be required, but I would suggest nine times out of ten it's it's structure to structure. If you imagine how you're building it, uh, it's actually the way we developed it. I didn't look at what Archicad and Revit did. I did use Revit and, and I basically got frustrated and I didn't have the time to learn that. But um, And I'm not a tech person, but um, it wasn't allowing me to design the way I built and therefore I couldn't use my, my builder's brain or carpenter's background uh, to design a project. So I had that kind of clarifies a little bit of, of, you know, maybe why some things aren't the same as Archicad and they're not the same as Revit. And I guess the, my answer to that is, is that I, I had a quick play with and went bugger it. I don't think I'll ever get that. Um, I need something <laughs> that actually designed the way I could build. Yeah. And, and for me, it is about making sure that it benefits all of industry. So you're you're using a tool that benefits the design process, but then you're also using a tool that benefits the buildability or the, the construction of the project. And I think that that's why we're doing this podcast. It's why we create the software is because there, there has been and there is so much disconnect between person to person, profession to profession. And I do think it's all about communication. Yeah, there shouldn't be enough versus, versus uh, there shouldn't be architects versus builders. We complement each other very, very well, and, uh, and you'll, you'll know when you talk to a, a builder that has a good architect or you'll know when you talk to an architect that has a good team of builders. They go out of their way to recommend them. The, the, the closer the relationship can come between design world and the construction world, uh, the better it is. And, and, yes, I understand that there are differences. You know, uh, you know, architects are clean all the time and, you know... <laughs> Forgive me, I'd like to be right all the time. Sorry, any architects out there. But um, the truth is, is that in your head when you've designed a project, you understand it. I think a lot of the frustration comes in from the builder is they don't see your vision. All they're looking at is how do I put this thing together, uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, uh, the right-hand side of the brain and the left-hand side of the brain there. And I've built projects that have been designed by architects and they're better than any project I've ever designed myself. So I have a lot of respect for good architects and good designers. However, I think it needs to be the same in reverse. A good architect and good designer should have a lot of respect for a good builder or a good carpenter or a good tradesperson. I think they're on an equal level um, uh, because I've seen crappy builders and crappy carpenters that I wouldn't employ. Um, and I think that most people that are going down the track of where we are, and I think we've reached just over 5,500 licences a couple of weeks ago, most of those people um, were hell-bent on being better at what they do. Um, yeah. And that's a really good thing to see. So I think if a builder comes to an architect and says, hey, I'm using this software plus, it doesn't matter if you're using CAD. I think that even just getting a version of SketchUp and, and understanding where they're coming from, if you can 
deliver to a builder or, or a tradesperson what they actually need to make their job easier, I'm confident that they would employ you time and time and time again. Um, builders really don't want to get involved in drawing. It's just that necessity brought me to creating software uh, because I wasn't getting from the architect what I needed. And I think that once that understanding is clear and the communication is clear between all facets of the industry, not only architects, engineers and builders, I think manufacturers as well play a big part. Uh, I think we're yeah, going to really see what we've been talking about for so long. Like, I'm talking not... I think that 5% is to be scoffed at. You know, I think that if you're building at the moment and you're doing it all from 2D, either you're brilliant at deciphering 2D plans, better than I am, but I think that it's not unreasonable to expect a 10% net profit gain. That's after all costs. So on a $100,000 job, you should be looking at at another $10,000 per $100,000 if you're doing this right and if you're investing your time correctly. And it's very difficult to, no matter how much experience you've got, um, to, to figure out every little problem that can come up on a project. Integrating that project delivery from design through engineering to construction solves those problems because you can see them in front of you. Most definitely. So there's one other thing that has come up, uh, Drew, and it's come up several times over the last, well, actually probably more than several, probably 20 times over the last uh, year. Uh, and architects sort of said, hey, we feel a little bit uneasy that we're giving uh, drawings that have structure behind them to the to the builder because we're worried about mitigation. Um, we're worried that what we've drawn in there isn't correct. And the answer to that is that that comes down to contracts. And integrated project delivery has distinct benefits, especially if you have a contract that is worded accordingly. So really the architect and designer's job is designed to suit the client brief or, or whatever that might be. However, it isn't to, to design structure. You can still share your model with structure in it. All you need to do in your contract is actually go through and say, by the way, this is not a structural drawing. This is a design concept. Uh, and, it's, and the reason why uh, we're sharing the model is for the builder to go through and change spacings or, or change choice directions or do what they want to do. And it's very easy to overcome that boundary of being concerned about being litigated uh, especially in a concept design. And I would say my advice to all architects and designers is saying that all structure inside of this model is conceptual and it's for um, preliminary uh, estimation reasons only. Um, and, you know, if it's like integrated project delivery um, changes, everything should be certified by an engineer or a, or a qualified person. You'll notice that in the bottom of Plusbeck it has that disclaimer down there as well. Yeah, great point. Unfortunately, though, I do think it's time that we wrap up. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks very much for coming along, guys. Uh, I hope it was of help and uh, we'll be talking again soon. Cheers. Well, unfortunately, that's the end of another episode of the Architects Are From Mars, Builders Are From Venus podcast. If you would like to take part, don't hesitate to reach out. But before we go, I would also like to thank our gold sponsors. Builders Profits provides coaching and training to the building industry no matter where you live in the world. Dinsel is a lightweight, stay-in-place formwork system which, when filled with concrete, produces a load-bearing, fire-resistant structural element. And Stramit is a leading Australian manufacturer of raw-formed steel building products. See you next time.